Everybody wants to play a bigger part. This is day one. This is day one. Everybody's wondering what we are at heart. This is day one. This is day one. Everybody wants to play a bigger part. Why are you waiting for tomorrow to start? This is day one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Day One Leadership Podcast. I am Drew Dudley, and this is part two of our conversation with personal finance expert Preet Banerjee. If you haven't heard the first part of the interview, go back to our podcast page and download part one, and you're going to hear about Preet's unique voyage from neuroscientist to professional race car driver to a member of the financial services industry and on to becoming a television host, best-selling author, the author of Canada's best investing blog, and generally a man that experts go to when they want to know what's going on in the world of finance. He drops all kinds of fascinating insights that you can use to better manage your own personal financial life. And now we're going to dive into our conversation about what Preet would do on day one. Let's head right into it. Thanks so much for coming back. So let's back up and and sort of take a big picture look at, uh, at some advice. Now, again, you've been a man who drove cars at 200 kilometers an hour. Uh, you've been a man who studied the way the human brain functions, and now you've been a man um, who spends his life focusing on really what, if you take a look, is the number often the number one source of stress, yeah. the number one barrier to people living a life, whether it's true or not that they can be happy. They use money as sure. a block to it. So you get to sit down with that version of you before he started chasing the shiny <laughs> ball. So it's day one. Let's say the first day of high school. And uh, you get to sit down as part of his orientation in grade nine. You get to sit down. By the way, if if I'm if I'm sitting down, if you're sitting down across from Preet Banerjee on the first day of grade nine, what's Preet Banerjee wearing? Just out of curiosity, <laughs> think back to that day. Uh, I believe it was like a Cosby esque sweater. So you remember uh, Bill Cosby on the Cosby Show had those sweaters, you know? Yes. I had a lot of those as a kid because at, at that point we were watching the Cosby Show and I thought, yeah, yeah, that's a cool sweater. I was a total dork, like just a complete nerd, fish out of water, uncomfortable in my own skin kind of guy in high school, the first couple of years anyways. And the beginning of high school was an incredibly uncomfortable experience for me. So let's go back to that. And now being, yeah, the, man, let's do that. being the man. Yeah. <laughs> let's and, go back to that happy time. And here's the rope from gym class too, just, <laughs> just to make all of it. But I think it's interesting. Like we talk about who that person was yeah. and, and we do it with a smile on our face because I think we feel like we're more now. Sure, like not, yeah. I shouldn't say more, but I think we feel like we're more comfortable with who we are as people. Absolutely. Now. I hope, yeah. I bloody well hope so anyway. <laughs> but let's say you get to sit down with them and, and you get to teach him three things. There's a couple of things that come in this scenario, but let's start off there. You get to say, okay, you get to give him three insights about life that you didn't have back then, that you can pull from your experience now. What three insights about the world do you give Preet Banerjee on day one? Okay, so two of them are easy because we already talked about it, the importance of planning. I really believe that planning is so incredibly important. I remember my dad telling me when he was in medical school and whatnot, he got, uh, you know, throughout his entire educational career, he got amazing grades. And he said, you know what? If there was a test on, say, March 1st, I would be done studying by February 20th. I would plan that that test was a week earlier than it actually was and study until I was ready to take that test one week prior to actually taking the test. So he aced like all his exams. And when it comes to everything in life, if you've got uh, work, 
um, personal goals, whatever, it really does come down to planning. That is the key. And of course, this is the personal finance guy coming out as well. So that one we already talked about. Second one was hustle, uh, hard work. Really, there are no shortcuts. So when all the people call up you or they call up me and they say, hey, let's go for coffee for an hour. Tell me how I can, you know, accelerate my trajectory in the world of finance or whatever. I'll say, listen, <laughs> there are no shortcuts. It's just hard work. That's yeah. really all it comes down to. So those two we've already talked Everything about. Everything you want in the world is on the other side of something shitty. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, now, exactly. Now, right? that's, there's various degrees of shitty. Yeah. But everything on the, uh, that you want is on the other side of something crappy. It, yeah. it, it is hard. Like. I tried everything. Like I tried everything that it didn't involve hard work to lose weight, and and it's a, it's amazing. What finally worked is all the hard you stuff. You look fantastic, by well, the way. Well, thank you very. I was about to to comment here too. Is that um, we we have when you were talking about? Oh, I thought there's no way I'll get to be on TV. That we'll post some photos after. This is a handsome man, ladies and gentlemen. Like let's let's be straight up. But thanks, my man. Okay, the number three piece of, before we get into like a, an unbelievably difficult to stomach while listening to this uh, bit of bat. Uh, back padding between the two of us. Okay, so the third thing that we haven't talked about uh, that I would tell myself day one of high school is, Preet, I think you need to realize that everyone is cool in their own way. And you got to take the time to understand and appreciate. And the way that you do that is by not judging people. So when I think about all the experiences that I've had, when I truly get to know someone, generally my my way of looking at them, my perception of them is a lot different than day one of the first time I've had an interaction with that person. And so I think a lot of us, we still judge books by their covers, right? That's just something that we do. And it's not until you have that conversation one time and you're like, oh, that's so odd about you. I never knew about that. So for example, my my chemistry teacher in high school, this is a this will explain just how much of a nerd I was in high school. So I remember one time he made a reference. It was a Star Trek reference that no one else caught because you had to be like a super Star Trek nerd to catch this reference. So I went up to him after class and I said, I noticed that Star Trek reference and blah. So we started chatting and um, started telling him about my love of Star Trek and whatnot. And uh, he said, oh, man, that's so cool. And he was my chemistry teacher, the science. So we started, we had a really nice conversation. So he inspired me to embrace that passion. So I went to the bookstore and I bought the, uh, the Star Trek technical manual, which was like a 200-page book on like the science of Star Trek, like schematics for the shit. I know, super dirty, right? <laughs> I know, you're looking at me, yeah. So anyways. It's a good thing you grew up handsome, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so I brought that book to school which was a mistake, <laughs> but let's go back and give you four tips. Yeah. To give. <laughs> oh, remind me to tell you about the time I, I came to school with a shirt and it was, uh, I forget what that silk screening silk screen with a picture of me and my dog on it to high school to high school. What a disaster. Okay. We're going to end this podcast right now. So my friend, I was walking to school <laughs> and, uh, you know, my jacket was always like, what's on your shirt? It's like, Oh, it's me and my dog. He's like, you really should go home and change. <laughs> and I did. And I'm so grateful because <laughs> that would have been the worst day ever. <laughs> wow. I told you, Drew, total, total nerd. And uh, th which is funny because now we're having a conversation about how not to judge people. Right. And here we are sitting being like, that kid is a loser. Right. Oh, it's me. Uh, yeah. But yeah. wow. So anyway, so to get back to the broader point is everyone's cool in their own way. Um, everyone's got a passion about something. And when you understand why they're passionate about that, that kind of makes me way more interested in it, you know? So 
I am a, a endlessly curious person. So I got a YouTube channel, podcast, all this stuff. And I love the learning process of getting to learn about video and editing and sound and all this stuff. And when we were shooting um, a couple of TV productions, um, I always loved spending time with the crew. Um, always, and maybe it's just I've been lucky, but every crew that I've worked with have been like the coolest people. And they see the coolest stuff because they f- work on different productions, different shows, different ideas and all this stuff. So they have a really unique perspective on the world because they're exposed to so many different things. And uh, so anyways, always gotten along really well with, uh, with, with crew. And the passion that they have for their craft makes me passionate about it. So after doing stuff on TV, the way that I watch TV is totally different. And you would think now that you know how the sausage is made, it would make things less um, impressive or less appealing actually makes it more impressive. So for example, uh, you remember that movie Birdman? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was shot as one long continuous take. And, uh, and so for people in the business, like, man, that's so cool. Um, in the Rocky sequel Creed, there was one fight scene where um, the entire two or three rounds was done as one, one actual continuous take. And I remember watching it, and I noticed these things now because I think about, you know, when any shot is like, where would the camera have to be in order to capture that? You know, I think about what goes on behind uh, the production. And so it gives you this totally different level of appreciation on like a totally different level for these things. So insatiably curious. And I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't curious about the passions of other people. So... When I say that, you know, appreciate the um, the cool, like everyone is cool in their own right. Figure out what it is that they are passionate about. And it is cool, you know, to learn more about the world and what makes other people tick and what they get excited about. And, uh, and so this also ties back into just appreciating life. There's so many cool things about this world. And I wish I could be a student forever, uh, which kind of feels like that that way, because uh, I don't think we mentioned on the podcast, but I'm back in school for another couple of years doing research. But I am just insatiably curious. A, a joint master's PhD, actually, if I like well, just I, to throw a little love out for Preet here <laughs> on the podcast, that this guy's not just going back to school like he's he's going to be Preet Banerjee. B S C M S whatever PhD. <laughs> well, it's it's technically it's a it's a DBA, which is a doctor of business administration, which is a professional doctor, which is different from a PhD, which is an academic doctor. And the only reason I say that is because people on both sides of that equation get very persnickety. I've noticed that actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good word too, persnickety. I don't know. I I heard that the other day. I was like, man, that's a really weird word. I would never catch myself dead saying. And there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny. You, like, I, I, what gets really interesting is that everybody's got a passion that makes them fascinating. Because nothing, like I, I joke that joy is the sexiest thing on the planet. And there is a joyfulness that, that jumps into people when they start talking about the thing that fascinates them. Right. And so to start seeking that out, like if you're like, I cannot see, I cannot see why this person I, I should look because like, we've all met people where like I don't see a redeeming quality of this individual, like, <laughs> and and I've discovered that I think you hit it right on the head. Try to find out what fascinates them, and you will discover a different side of them. Because you say don't judge a book by its cover, and I have a friend of mine, and her job is to design book covers, and she <laughs> hates that. Right. She's like, do you have any idea how much work goes in? to making sure that you judge things by the cover. Right. And what's interesting is that, <laughs> well, think about it. We spend an inordinate amount of time in our lives on our cover. 
Yeah. So we're saying don't judge a book by its cover. And then yet we spend tons of money on letters after our name, yeah. on what we're wearing, yes. on what our career looks like to other people. Facebook is entirely a bunch of covers. Yeah. And uh, the, Chris Rock puts it perfectly. You don't meet somebody, you meet their representative right. when you go on a date. So it's interesting when we say don't judge things by its cover because a huge portion of the time we put into ourselves is on our cover. And I think, you know, one thing I really want to get people thinking about is, is well, what's in the book? Mm-hmm. All right. Like what are the values that drive you? Right. But I also want to say this. I've often had some debates with people about judging. Like try not to judge others. Sure. Don't you think that one of the big gifts that we've been given is the ability to make judgments. Mm-hmm. So when is it, I've always wondered when people say, oh, don't judge. I'm like, well, see, sometimes you get yourself in a bad spot if you don't use the gift of your ability to judge. Very so true. how do you balance the idea of not judging someone while at the same time making sure that you use the gift of your ability to differentiate between good, bad, potential problem not because i've had some people who are like oh don't judge like i don't judge people i'm like well that's that's why you keep ending up you know in relationships with people who treat you terribly right <laughs> yeah, yeah. so where's the balance there yeah i think it comes down to semantics so obviously when we say don't judge a book by its cover i mean that in the context of you know be open right to figure out who this person is but once you figure out who they are then feel free to judge <laughs> right um so and that comes down to having a code Right. You yeah. got to understand what you stand for and what you won't put up with. And so when you have taken the time to truly understand what you need to in order to make that judgment, then I would say, go ahead and make that judgment. I have I do not suffer fools. Well, I really don't. So when I have so one of the things that I hold dear to me is competence, making sure you're thorough. And if I find someone that, uh, you know, that I would be either working with um, or have some kind of long-term relationship with and they are not competent, that's it. I mean, I will have judged that person. I will not give them the time of day, so to speak. Um, and I sort of have my channel. I stay to it or my lane rather. Um, so, yeah, when we talk about, you know, judging a book by its cover, that's not as intense um, because you have to take the time to actually understand that person before you can actually make a judgment on them or a, a way of action or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, on one hand, you know, don't judge people. At the other hand, of course, we should take full use of that ability to judge people. That's, you know, that's what makes us individuals. But that, I think, is dictated by who we hang out with, who we talk to, all that stuff. I think, yeah, that's a, a really, because I, I keep hearing, oh, don't judge people. And I, there's always a twinge, because I, I think you, you put it perfectly. Be open to exploring and trying to understand. And once you really feel, and this is true, ask yourself, do I really do it or if I convinced myself this is the case? Then I think it's important to use your judgment. This was a gift that we were given. And I think it's a leadership gift to say, I'm going to judge situations. I'm going to judge individuals. Now, that means you do your research. You're competent in doing so. But I've always been a little bit hesitant when people say, you know, don't don't judge other people. I'm like, well, let's let's not jump to conclusions about other people, but let's assess situations and people because I think that's what keeps us from getting ourselves into situations that are harmful sometimes. Uh, and I think that's really important. Let's, let's jump ahead a little bit to a question I usually ask towards the end. Is there anything else out there uh, that, like my thing is when people say don't judge other people, there's always a, okay, let's throw a caveat in there. What's <laughs> your... What's your piece of advice that gets thrown around a lot that you're every time you hear it, you're like, stop that. That's terrible advice. Oh, oh, this one's simple. YOLO. YOLO? YOLO. You only live once. 
because I think people grossly misinterpret um, the real essence of that saying. You only live once is used as a justification to do things that are stupid, <laughs> right? Whereas I see it as you only live once, so don't screw it up, right? So, oh, yeah, I'll jump off this cliff or whatever. You only live once. Yeah, you don't want to live the rest of your life, you know, permanently injured because you jumped off a perfectly good cliff. You know, so that's the way I see it. And, and I see there's a lot of YOLO and personal finance. Uh, oh, you only live once. Let's go on that dream vacation this year, even though we just graduated school. It's like, no, no, that is completely irresponsible. So you're using this YOLO mentality to justify something that you know is irresponsible. And it's sort of like, it's like a get out of jail free card, like carte blanche. Yeah, do whatever you want. And I think that is just fundamentally a dumb thing to do. The perspective that I think people should have when it comes to YOLO is you only live once, so don't screw it up. That's a, uh, what's interesting is, is uh, I did an article about 38 things I've learned in 38 years. And one of them was like for a while, uh, and maybe it's just, it's hard to conceive that you only live once when you're in your 20s, but it was always <laughs> like, and you see these memes, right? Like make the choice that will make a good story. Right. And and so, which is kind of the YOLO concept, right? Yeah. It's just we had to shorten it for Twitter. And <laughs> and so I started to realize uh, in some of the advice I give young people now, and, and one is don't take advice. So, you know, whatever. But <laughs> make the, will it make a good story is a terrible question to drive your life on. I right. prefer to go with a, a three-step process. One, will it make a good story? Two... Will I be proud to tell it? And three, will I be still around to tell it? Right. And if the answer to two of those three questions are not yes, don't do it. Right. All right. Like, think, will it make a good story? Will I be proud to tell it? Will I be alive to tell it? Like, right. make sure that two or three of those are, are okay. Hey, you can not be proud, but as right. long as it's a good story and you're alive, all right. But I, I think that's a great way of looking at it. So let's go back and uh, some more advice for your day one self. A question. Like you get to give preets besides like, am I wearing a t-shirt that has my dog on it today? Yeah. But give me a question that if you could give it to that version of yourself and they'd have to answer it by the end of the day, every single day of their life. So basically you have the opportunity to change the behavior of your first day of high school sure. self. What question would you give them that will drive a, a piece of behavior every day that if you had the chance to go back and start doing earlier, you would? What would be the question you give that? version of yourself? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> I think one question I might ask uh, myself at the end of every day is, on balance, are you better at the end of the day than, than when you started that day? And so by that, I mean, uh, there's so many different facets of our life that we have to pay attention to and manage. If you can just take one thing and say, you know what, this has moved in the right direction, versus the beginning of the day or whatever. And every day it can be a different facet of your life. But as long as you have momentum and you are keep moving forward as an individual, and it could be in any way, it could be net worth, uh, it could be education, it could be social interactions, it could be um, having fun, relaxing and whatnot. So there's so many different facets of our lives that make up our lives. Are you, have you moved further along any one of those continuum um, by the end of that day. Uh, and I think, you know, if you can say legitimately at the end of a month, you know what, 25 days out of 30, I did. I think that's a pretty good uh, measure or yardstick of how you're going to progress. So that would probably be one of the questions. Um, so what is that question? 
It's just you, you said it would be sort of this, but I'm like, let's boil it down. What's the actual question? Oh, well, okay. That is tough. I haven't... Uh... You might not have noticed, but I'm like, you haven't actually asked a question yet. <laughs> well, think of it this way. Uh, let's say we could start it with, how did you or what did you do today too? How would you finish one of those sentences to get at what you were just talking about? Oh, okay. So what did you do today that was an incremental improvement on your life? Okay. What did you do today that was an incremental improvement on your life? Yeah, because I don't know if That's you can... That's a boring-ass question. Make that fun, man. Come on. Well, yeah. Okay. So that I can't do. Uh, <laughs> but if you look at it from, you know, do something monumental every day, you set yourself up for failure. But if you take those baby steps, I think you're going to accomplish a lot more. If you just sort of frame things in small, achievable goals, and you're always pushing yourself to do more every day, I think that's just a good outset mindset to have for the rest of your life. And that gives you the momentum which has come in handy for me because I have no five-year plan. So just having momentum uh, with all these different aspects of your life um, on balance, I think is a good thing. So I think that would be the question. Maybe it's boring. So I didn't mean to be mean there. I'm like, but but uh, I always say, try to make it a it question. It reminds that, me of high school, man. Well, it's just I try to, no, because in high, cool m- m- maybe in high school, <laughs> you might say something like that makes you incrementally better. But I've always said when you come down to the question, make it a question that sort of flows off, that 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 makes you excited to answer it. And what I meant by, I didn't mean that was boring, but I meant, do you get excited? And I guess maybe the idea isn't to be excited, but I guess is the question, what did I do today to get a little bit better? Um, like it's a, it's a shorter, but it's, isn't it still the same question? But you can argue with me though. I mean. Okay, how about this good. one? Okay. Um, this one is kind of a, a little bit different, but uh, who worked harder than you today? Oh, I always say, make it sort of, what did I do or how did you, because how does answering that question help you out? Is the question you're not getting at there, did I make it unlikely anyone worked harder than me today or something? Because it really should be about you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so but that's not I, fun. I know you better than my all of my... My question is more fun. True. <laughs> I just asked because I know you better than all my other podcast guests so far. Oh, okay. So I feel like I can, <laughs> I can poke you a little bit. So I hope you don't mind. Not at but, all. Absolutely. No, but, I love it. But yeah, like... But that question there is about someone else. And one of the things I talk about when it comes to leadership is ultimately there are things you are fully in charge of. You're not always in charge of what you have to do every day, but you're always in charge of who you are. And I think you've got a great concept there, which is there are a lot of different parts of your life. Keep moving forward every day because it's interesting. I'll challenge you on this. You don't have a five-year plan. I used to think it too. Like it's all about five-year momentum, but we do have five-year plans. You do have a five-year plan. Well, with the doctorate, I do now. Well, (laughs) because it takes five years to do the damn bloody thing. But the the whole (laughs) idea of chasing the shiny ball, that isn't not having a plan. What you have is a much shorter-term plan, which is this. I have things I'm going to stand for today. My five-year plan is to make as many days as possible in the next five years. That's true. So the idea is my five-year plan is to have a set of core values I live every day. And I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm going to live them every day. And that is a plan. Mm-hmm. Like, And when people are like, oh, well, you don't know where you're going to be in five years. Not knowing where you're going to be in five years doesn't mean you don't have a plan. It means that I have a whole lot of micro plans, yeah. which is, <laughs> look, I know it'll be forward. So I like that, though. Who worked harder than me today? And the reason but, I, I say that, I think this comes from from the auto racing background. Um, because no one remembers who came in second. Like it is like with many sports and other um, uh, athletic endeavors, it, the competition is incredibly fierce. You ask any driver who who really wants to make a go of it, do you think you're the best driver in the world? And I think most of them, if they were being honest, they said, you know what, um, 
if I did X, Y, and Z, yeah, I'm confident that I could hang with the best in the world, right? They all think they have that potential. And if they didn't, then they're probably not going to become a great race car driver, right? So it's intensely competitive. You are always trying to win. Always, always, always. And the way that you get better is you find out who's better than you, and then you do whatever it takes to beat them. And so this goes back to that, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, um, you want to work as if you're number two. Even if you are in whatever endeavor or facet of your life, you think you couldn't be doing any better, um, work or train as if you were number two, trying to overtake number one. So that's why I went back to and, and thought, you know, who worked harder than me today? So if it was, for example, um, say a classmate, uh, and, uh, you know, they got an A, I want to get that A plus then. Right. That's that competitive nature that I have. I just want to be number one, which I don't like saying like this is like one of the first times I would ever say to anyone, you know what? I do want to be the best at everything I do. It's not going to be possible, but working hard, I know what I have to do in order to do that. And then it's just a matter of putting in the hard work to actually do that. So by identifying, well, who's doing a better job right now, that tells you how much better you have to do in order to overtake that person if you truly want to be number one. Yeah, that's amazing. I guess part of it too is that I, I know there are some people who hear it though and any sort of um, external focus can be a little dangerous. Like I'm not saying to people don't take a look out there and be like, I want to be like that person or I want to be better than that person because you'll keep hearing it. LeBron will say it. Jordan will say it, right? Like you got to be better than the best. Uh, you got, I love that. Uh, like Ric Flair, you know, to be the best, you got to <laughs> be, woo. I'm so glad we got to do that. And, and, and I'm also glad, by the way, just to go back to confidence, you'll notice this podcast sounds better. And that's because Preet has taught me, like we got better mics. And from this day forward, hopefully it'll continue to sound better. But also thanks to you, you could just say woo. And we probably didn't peak. So that's right. audio wise. Yes. But like, well, I guess it's, my question would be, can you, what would you say if I said, well, make the question, uh, and again, this is interesting. I've never really had this discussion with someone on, as a guest on the show. I hope it, no one's being like, stop it. He gave you your answer. <laughs> but um, what, what if the question was, how did I outwork yesterday's version of myself? Because the problem is, one thing I found, because I used to do that too, like who's doing better than me? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, okay, or how did I work like I'm number two today? But then the focus is always on I'm evaluating myself based on somebody else, which is you know, you always want to be better, but ultimately you can only control you. And so if the question was, how did I outwork my version of myself yesterday? Uh, you can give yourself the opportunity to feel like the answer to that is yes, far more frequently. Now, is that copping out? I don't know. I ask you, like, what if the question was, did I outperform, did I outwork yesterday's version of myself? And that way you allow yourself to say yes most days. And I think that changes how you perceive yourself, how you work. And it also makes it more likely that you're going to become better than most people. But it doesn't make your focus on what other people are doing. It makes your focus on, excuse me, what you're doing. But is that a cop-out? Like, are you saying, oh, Drew, you're just trying to make it easier? I don't know. I don't know if it's a cop-out, but I don't know if it's a good question to ask because there's two aspects as to why I say that. One is... Um, you can artificially set the bar lower and increment it or increase it just a little bit every day so that you can always say, yes, I did a better job than I did yesterday. And also, you know, are you setting your bar too low in general? Okay. Right? So how do you, how do you judge against yourself continually? And also, I think you set yourself up for a little bit of failure because now you put extreme pressure on yourself. to If you were to continue that every day to be better than yesterday, 
at some point that becomes untenable, right? So whereas if you have someone that you can identify, say, listen, this is a human being. He eats food. He goes to the washroom. He sleeps just like I do. Or she. Or she. Um, what are they doing? Um, I could do that too if I put my mind to it or if that was my priority. So I still like my question better. Okay. <laughs> could we add something to it then? Of course. We can do whatever we want. Well, how about um, who outworked me today and, and what? how can I get rid of them? <laughs> <laughs> well, who outworked me today and what did I do about it? Because my only thing with that question is if someone I'm coaching would, would say it to me, I mean, like, you're... Your concept <laughs> of what's driving your behavior is now another human being. Right. Uh, and, and also the question that I think has to always make you do something. Mm-hmm. So your question is a good one. Like, who outworked me today? And then, the, but it doesn't make you do anything. Right. If you just identify, oh, that guy, that day. Yeah, that and guy. Tuesday was that guy. And Wednesday was that guy. Thursday was that person. So who outworked me today and what did I do about it? Does right. that work? Yeah, I like that. Okay. I like that. And so for me, like... So in, this is good. We, we have redemption here. I was afraid that people are going to listen to the podcast and be like, wow, this blew up in your face. Well, but. you know what? You know, if you listen to a podcast, just two people agreeing with each other, that's so boring. That's true. Right? So um, I, I love intelligent discourse. I wouldn't even call it debate, you know? Like that sounds so con- uh, confrontational or whatever. But I like the exploration of ideas and pushing each other to challenge themselves and whatnot. So this is cool, man. So don't... So who at work me today... And what did I do about it? Yeah, I could I could roll with that every day. I like that. Yeah, and and because it does all acknowledge because maybe the if like if I look and say okay, well LeBron at work me today, uh, my concept is that might be untenable too. Like well, eventually. okay, I think you got to be realistic about what <clears throat> circle you're in, right? So if if me as a uh, five foot eight, five foot night Indian guy who's not really that good at basketball, I said, oh yeah, LeBron James was better at basketball. Uh, than me today. Um, there's nothing I can do in the near term future to be as good as LeBron, right? So I think you got to keep some perspective. So I think you got to look in, you know, what it is you're doing. So for me, uh, for example, if it's, uh, again, I'll go back to a classmate. So we all have all these milestones and whatnot and assignments and uh, research proposals to put in. I would look at some of the work that they're doing and I would say, okay, so what are they doing? Um, that is progressing them further or is getting uh, them to a better dissertation. Um, and I would look at that because that is kind of in my lane of what I am doing, right? So I am not playing in the NBA. So for me to compare myself to LeBron would make no sense. But to compare myself to someone else in my gym in the condo, that's different, right? I would take someone who is close to me or probably better uh, in better shape than me. I'd say, all right, so what is that person? Who are they in the gym more often? Are they paying more attention to their diet? Right? So you got to pick realistic targets, but they well, have to be better than you, I think. Yeah. And it's weird because we're talking about challenging one of those conventional like self-help prospects there, which is, oh no, don't compare yourself to other people. It's only, it's only whether you're better than you yesterday. It's interesting. <laughs> you say, is that setting the bar too low? Right. I, I think so. Uh, so there was, um, a quote I read just this morning, um, and of all people, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is actually, um, there's two quotes of his now that I have stuck with me. So the second one is, uh, and I think it was him, um, there are 24 hours in a day. That was it. And, uh, and it, when you reflect on that and you think about how many of those hours we waste, it's unbelievable. Like when I do an accounting of the time I spent yesterday or on a work day or whatever, the amount of slack time that I use up 
checking Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff um, is amazing. And there's so much time that we have available that, that we're not maximizing the efficiency of our time that we could do a lot better. We could both be in better shape. We could both have better diets. Uh, there's so many other things that we could do. And it's, it's picking the right, the right benchmark, right? So I think if we, if we don't use an external benchmark and we just have our internal ones, I wonder if sometimes we're too easy on ourselves. It's uh, well, we got 2.5 billion heartbeats. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a TED talk, a TEDx talk you did that actually I'm going to post. So, because I don't want to dive into it here because sure. I want people to watch the talk, but that was a, it really framed it for me. There's 2.5 billion heartbeats in a lifetime. That's a and good that's, segue. Good that's segue. it. Well, <laughs> actually, I shouldn't have segued away though because you didn't tell us the other quote. Oh, right. Uh, so, Arnold, I know for sure that Arnold said this. This was in a book I read like 20 years ago, but it's stuck with me ever since. It said, The only guarantee against failure is total commitment. And you know, when you read the stories about Arnold Schwarzenegger, so, you know, he's kind of like this character of a person now, right? And he's bigger than life and all this stuff. But there's a really good documentary on um, Netflix that came out, I think, just a month or two ago. And it was uh, documenting Arnold Schwarzenegger versus Lou Ferrigno during the Mr. Olympia competition back in the 70s or whatever. And when you look at how dedicated Arnold Schwarzenegger was to his craft of bodybuilding, that guy was on such a different level with every aspect of what it takes to be a bodybuilder and to be a champion. Two separate things. So obviously he was known as this huge bodybuilding champion, but the champion mentality itself is, is such a, an interesting area to, to explore. But that documentary gives you some insight. And people would say that when, when Arnold was training, a bomb could go off in the gym and he wouldn't notice because he was so focused on what he was doing. And that total commitment is the reason why he was, I think, like six times in a row, Mr. Olympia, like completely unheard of. Like when you think about how incredible it is to do that, it's unbelievable. It's like a Five Sigma event or whatever. So uh, the only guarantee against failure is total commitment. And I do believe that if you are truly totally committed to doing something, I think you can achieve any goal. It's a, Peyton Manning, when he retired, said something that really jumped out at me in his speech when he said, anything you totally commit to and give everything to, you develop a reverence for, mm -hmm. uh, which also can be a little dangerous, yeah. I think, as well. But it's interesting what you just talked about, because there'll be people saying, oh, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a caricature, et cetera. But I think it's an important point that there are aspects of people you don't necessarily agree with or like, or right. there are parts of people's lives that you can look at and say, and this is maybe down to the whole judgment idea, that, oh, you, whatever, he's a character, he's an actor. But there are aspects of almost everyone's personality, just like something that makes people passionate, that are worth emulating. Yeah. Like, not, I think in most human beings, you can take a look and say, <laughs> there is something about every person that's probably worth emulating. And I never really thought of it till you were mentioning I'm like, really? He's going to quote Schwarzenegger? Right, but, that's the reaction that most people have. Oh, okay, but, I'm gonna, this but, is a throwaway. <laughs> yeah, but let's step back and think about it. The man did reach the absolute pinnacle of more than one like profession or industry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this guy, like, if that's the one thing you can emulate is that this guy, when he set his mind to something, that was it. It was going to happen. Um, there's no plan B. Right. Like that's the focus that this guy had to be the best bodybuilder in the world and smashed every record. Then after that, uh, everyone said to him, you know, you should open up a chain of gyms and capitalize on your success. He said, no, I want to be an actor. And this guy became like a worldwide movie star. 
And then after that, I said, okay, now I want to be in politics and became the governor of California, right? I mean, think about it. This guy is committed. So however, you know, you feel about Arnold Schwarzenegger and his views, opinions, whatever, you can't deny that this guy was one of the most committed human beings on the planet. What's interesting, too, is that I've been sitting here thinking about the, the Plan B concept. And uh, do you have a Plan B? Or is it when you chase the shiny ball, yeah. is it you haven't even found Plan A yet? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. Um, as I get older, <clears throat> I am starting to think more about long-term planning. I still haven't solidified any plans. But now I'm trying to put momentum into things that would set up a foundation so that I could say... Maybe I want to go into uh, consulting full-time, long-term for decades and just focus on expanding the consulting side of uh, what I do. Uh, maybe I want to uh, teach. Um, so I'll have the qualifications to do that and uh, give some lectures every now and then. And I really like it. I like interacting with um, you know these students who are so brilliant. I, I talk to these students today, I'm thinking, man, I was not this sharp when I was where they are now. Um, and it's a very stimulating environment. So I'm sort of setting things up now to have a foundation where I'll say, okay, so this is kind of the, 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 uh, the path that I could be taking. Um, and I've never done that before. I've never done anything to set up the foundation to do that. I've always just sort of gone from thing to thing to thing. So I still don't know what that ultimate thing is going to be. And maybe it'll just be, you know, a portfolio of different endeavors. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what will make me happy, makes me tick. What do you want to be, Preet? Like I can tell you what I don't want to be. I don't want to work for anyone else. I don't want to live the 9 to 5 life. I just could not do it. It's just I, I can't even wrap my brain around that. I am so incredibly happy and fortunate to be able to pick and choose the projects that I have to work on. Um, I'm incredibly busy, which is a blessing. Um, and I think work begets work, right? So yeah. again, it's, it's that momentum, right? And so far it's working. And it's interesting because this is the question I was thinking of last night, actually, just before I went to sleep being like, I don't, pre not like you're someone, and I think I just why I enjoy talking to you so much is that we have a similar life right? Yeah. in that we don't work for somebody else <clears throat> yet. It's a lot of entrepreneurs who don't work for somebody else, right? They have companies and, and I guess we do. But you are, the nature of your work often makes you a one-man show. Right. You're a consultant. You're a speaker. You're, you know, you're, on a, you're a panelist. You're a TV host. No, you work with teams, but they're not necessarily accountable to you. You work with them as opposed right. to you're the head of a team. So you represent an interesting type of leadership in that people look to you and you offer tremendous guidance and you give people direction, especially on a big part of their life finances, but you're really a one-man show. Yeah. How is that experience of leadership different? Do you feel like a leader when you're not a CEO, at least in the conventional term, because you don't have direct reports? And I think there's quite a few people out there who might be in that boat or hope to be in that boat. What is that experience of leadership like? Do you feel like a leader because you don't have direct reports, that your company is you? Right. How is that experience for you? That's a really uh, good question. Um, yeah, I do, because I still have accountability to different groups. So they're not groups that work for me, but they're groups that work alongside me or uh, or look to me for guidance. For example, if it's sort of just the, the individual household or whatever looking for advice, they're looking for guidance on their finances. If it's a client looking for uh, you know a consulting project or whatnot, 
Um, the projects have been getting bigger and bigger and longer in scope, and you need to provide uh, leadership and guidance on what those, how to fulfill those projects. Um, so we're doing some really cool projects. Unfortunately, I'm under NDAs for almost all of them because oh. uh, they're for big wealth management firms, but uh, they're really cool. <laughs> I can't tell you that. Um, but they turn to me, and I have to now subcontract some some parts of the projects to specialists in uh, in areas of behavioral finance and whatnot. So guys with PhDs in psychology and, and finance and whatnot, and bring them together uh, in order to fulfill what the clients are looking for. So there is still a degree of leadership, no doubt about it, even though I have no one working directly under me. Um, and that's another thing. So I could not work full-time, long-term for someone, nor do I think I would be good managing people because... Um, it's better to have these transient relationships of six months to a year with, with clients than it is to have uh, an employee ongoing for me. Because any time in the past when I was working in the machine and I had anyone under me, it was not a good relationship for either of us. Like, I just don't want to manage people. It's not my forte. I expect people to get things done. And like I said before, I, I, I put a, a competence on a pedestal. And if I see that there isn't that competence, I really... I am not a good manager of people like that. So I think it's it's a benefit to everyone that I do not employ people. <laughs> so that's my leadership. <laughs> what um, You work for yourself. What's the worst thing about your boss? <laughs> um, doesn't know when to say no. Really? Doesn't know when to say no. So I've been getting better at that over the last 10 years, but I used to never say no to anything. I would take on every single project. And now it's more a function of I've just now run out of time. Um, and this is why prioritization is becoming more and more important, especially because one of my big overall priorities is my own um, personal time. I need more and more of that. So saying no to people when they want things done is getting harder and harder. And because of that, I now have someone that I go through that handles negotiations and turning people down for requests and stuff. Because I, am, um, I try to make everyone happy, right? So if someone comes to me and says, I would need your help with this project or whatever— my inclination is to, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that this happens, but now I have to realize that I can't do it, and that would be a disservice to all the other clients that I have or what have you. Um, but it's hard for me to say no to those people that are asking for help because that's kind of my brand is helping people out you know, with their personal finances and whatnot. So when people come to you, it's really tough to say no because you want to help. Um, but uh, So that's the worst part of me is that uh, I'm still learning how to say no. It's the, um, there's a, a, Joanne Lim is her name, someone I know, and she taught me the important difference between the half-assed yes versus the respectful no. Yeah. And I thought, what a tremendous way of, of sort of encapsulating the challenge that a lot of people face. The, the half-assed yes versus the respectful no. And, right. and most people handle respectful no as well, but they don't handle you letting them down on your half-assed yes. Right. Yeah. You know what I used to do? Um, I remember sending this out a number of times to people say, you know what, um, when I have an ask in an email or whatever, I say, you know, what? I prefer a fast no than a prolonged maybe. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, you know, let me know if, if you want to try and if you suffer from the disease that I have, which is you want to please everyone, you don't like saying no. Listen, I prefer a fast no than you saying, oh, I think I can do it and try to make it work. I just need to know. It's no big deal. So I wish people would ask me that. <laughs> I was gonna, I'm going to give away uh, something here. When people email out a lot, hey, do you want to go have a coffee? I usually come back with, hey, can you email me in a couple of weeks and we'll set it up. And nine out of 10 people who ask to, for, uh, to get together and talk, which I'm more than willing to do, but yeah. you can't say yes to all of them. Nine out of 10, when you ask them, hey, give me an email in two weeks and we'll set it up. 
don't right. write you back. Yeah. And so I always sit down with the ones who do because these are clearly individuals who, right. who as you say, are, are committed to whatever the, the case may be. Yeah. One thing that I've started to do is I take like one day and I do like back to back. It's like, all right, listen, if you really want to chat, you come down to where I live at two o'clock at this coffee shop. <laughs> and then the next person, you three thirty, you know, you just set up shop for the day. Right. But drink decaf. Like, Oh that, my God. Oh, yes. You'd did be you twitching make, by the end. Did you make that mistake too? I came yes. home. It was like, you know, I had about seven coffee meetings in a row. <laughs> and I was just wired. And I said to my friend, I'm just like, Oh my God, I've had so much coffee. And, and she looks at me and says, well, why don't you just drink decaf? Yeah. <laughs> and you know how the only answer that you can give is because I was too stupid to think of that? Yeah. Uh, I think it is important. It's so, habitual, right? Oh, and, and habits are it. So let's, let's close with this, my good, because this has been awesome. But, you know, eventually we got to say goodbye. Um, let's go back to finance, leadership, whatever, mix them all together. But <clears throat> I have a feeling that uh, you have some financial fact that absolutely floors people because <laughs> and because I've seen you you know I, take a look at his TEDx talk uh, I'm going to post it on here where he talks about two pre talks about 2.5 billion heartbeats and you drop some knowledge about did you know that this is what most people do or the fact that most people own nine cars so a couple will often have 18 cars over the course of their life but I'm guessing that when someone's like oh financial management I got my I got my financial stuff together my guess is you've got something, some sort of financial factor, Timbit, that when you tell people, they're like, that can't possibly be true. Which one do you drop out when you're just sort of like, oh, really? Did you know this about most people? If your podcast listeners didn't know that you were Canadian, your use of the word Timbit instead of tidbit would have been a dead giveaway. <laughs> I never thought of that. It is supposed to be tidbit, it's isn't tidbit, it? It's tidbit, yeah. Timbit is the, the donut holes, uh, I think is I what think they call it. I think we're all well US. aware of what the... T- oh, wait, sorry, you're right. We probably have some U.S. Right. listeners. It, by the way, Timbits are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you want me to drop some knowledge, finance I, knowledge bombs on you. Yeah, j- j- if you want one, that's cool. You got more than that, but but I wanted to say, you know what? What is it you go to? You're at a, you're at a cocktail party and... and you just sort of want to dazzle someone with a, oh, but did you know this? Okay, so this one um, is not a bomb as so much a, a prolonged sort of strike. By the way, I wish you could see the motions that, that, that <laughs> we just threw down there. Like, it was the clear throwdown motion. Oh, yeah. Like, this is not a bomb, all right? The little yeah, I've finger got, flip. Okay. I've got, okay, so here's a quick one, and then I can give you one that's a little bit more, um, needs a little bit more explanation. Okay. So the first one is... <clears throat> you should not borrow money to buy depreciating assets. So this sounds like a pretty innocuous statement, but I'll tell you that if you can stick to this, you will change your financial life. So first you need to describe what a depreciating asset is versus appreciating. So a depreciating asset is anything that goes down in value. So a car would be the perfect example of something that goes down in value as soon as you buy it. Most of my relationships, okay. <laughs> so uh, if you borrow money, and you are buying a depreciating asset, you're doing money wrong. And this is something that society has lost perspective on. Because you go back far enough in time and you tell people that you're borrowing money to buy something and went down in value, they looked at you like you had two heads. Like this was a foreign concept. Like you would, if you were Amish, they would give you the Amish shun, okay? Uh, today, if you tell people that you don't carry a balance on your credit cards, you're the weird one, right? So our perspective on debt has completely changed. And if you want to change that, Think of it this way. If you are wanting to buy something, a a large ticket item, and you don't have the money, and you have to take a loan in order to buy that, the fact that you have to take a loan to buy that 
should be the first indication that you can't afford it, right? Because you don't have the money, right? So I have no problems with people spending frivolously if they have the money. If you if you save money, you acquire assets uh, and savings, and you spend that money any way you want, and you run a surplus, I couldn't care less. You could buy gold-plated tables if you wanted. I couldn't care. Well, gold is going up in value pretty consistently. Is it? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> See, that's it. I just made a comment there being like, well, doesn't it? Well, no. I mean, gold, uh, according to Warren Buffett, just sits there looking back at you, looking pretty. Well, I just think when we get to Mad Max Fury Road, that right. gold is still going to be valuable, is it not? Anyway, I've cut yeah, you off. Yeah, we're going on this huge tangent now. But I'm just like, a gold yeah, so the first table thing, would appreciate in value, would it not, theoretically? Yeah, so the first thing is, you know, if you're going to borrow money, make sure whatever you're using the money for is something that gives you a return. So a house is an appreciating asset over the long term. An education should, in theory, increase your lifetime <laughs> earnings. Um, anything that goes up in value, probably okay for you to borrow money for. But once you get to, I'd say, 40 you should not be financing your cars anymore. That's a sure sign that you're actually living beyond your means. Oh, interesting. If you are borrowing money to purchase things that go down in value, you are doing money wrong. Yep. So that's number one. I like that a lot. All right. So here's the second thing, which kind of goes into some psychology behavioral finance. This was a really interesting study. It was actually done in India. And researchers went and they studied um, people and, their, their, uh, and they wanted to test their mental cognition. Right, and their cognitive control. So cognitive control is kind of like a proxy for willpower. Okay. So what they did was they had two tasks for people. The first task was to take a hand grip and to squeeze it. You know those exercise things for your hands? Just squeeze it and see how long you could hold on to that, that squeezed grip. The second task that they had for people was to make a financial choice. Uh, do you want to buy this expensive name brand soap that's on a heavy discount, it's on a big sale. Would you want to buy that? So here's how they set up this experiment. They did it in two groups. They, they asked people, one group, say, all right, you're gonna make the choice about the soap first, and then you're gonna squeeze the grip. The other group, you're gonna squeeze the grip first, and then you're gonna make the choice about the soap. And then they separate into high-income people and poor people, low-income people. And what they found was pretty much everyone, if they squeeze the grip first, they could hold on for two minutes. Right, and then they make their choice about the soap. What their actual choice was about the soap didn't matter. So they held the, sque uh, the grip for two minutes and then made their choice about the soap. The other group, which made the choice about the soap first and then were asked to squeeze the grip, here are the results. So if they were high income, they made their choice about the soap and then they squeezed the grip, also two minutes. But if you were low income and you're asked to make the choice about the soap first and then uh, asked to squeeze the grip, you could only hold on for 90 seconds. So the question is, what difference does making a choice about soap have on your ability to squeeze a hand grip? So we know there's no physical difference between high-income and low-income people, and yet there was a, a statistically significant difference in how long they could hold on to that grip. And basically what the researchers posit is that, you know, this decision about the soap, if you're high-income, it's a throwaway decision. You're like, well, do I want the soap or not? It's not a big deal to you. But if you're low-income, every financial choice you make is a big deal. And it takes up part of your willpower to sort of decide, well, should I buy that you know, name brand soap at a discount or whatnot? That takes a toll, a mental toll, making that decision because it's much more significant to you. And so that, you know, followed by this question of uh, squeeze the hand grip, which is a proxy for willpower, show that your willpower was depleted, right? So if you are in a situation where maybe you're financially disadvantaged, 
you can really only tackle things in a serial nature. If you try and take a, a parallel approach to making all these financial decisions at once, you're, you're going to either set yourself up for failure or it's going to have this uh, mental strain on you that other people wouldn't have. And I think this is important for when people are giving advice to people of different demographic situations, um, income levels and whatnot. And I think it's really important. This is why this all goes back to what I said earlier. Personal finance is 90% psychology and 8% math. It really is, you know, how our brains work, how we're hardwired to make bad decisions about money and how we can address those challenges differently for different people because it's all psychology. And I guess to tie it at the end, this is, a, to me, the tie into leadership is the same idea. One, you got to actually take stock of what's true in your life. Yeah. So are these my real values? Well, what are they? And am I actually living them? Let's look for actual evidence that these values drive me. And to be aware of how your, whether or not your behavior is in fact consistent with the things that you want. And, and it's interesting in that, you know, I want to put money away for retirement. I want to be smart with my cash. But then if you actually evaluate what you're doing on a daily basis, you will see that it's not going to produce what you actually want. And, and so there really are parallels between the idea of if you want to be a leader, identify the things that you want to stand for, that you do, that are your priorities, yeah. and actually make sure that you're creating habits that live them, right. which is very much the same idea with finance. It's what's the reality, where are my priorities, and am I actually behaving in a way that's consistent with them? You, uh, you summed that up very nicely. Well, you know what, my friend? It's funny how we sum things up and it took us 90 minutes to... But man, I've had such a, a... I could keep talking, but uh, people aren't going to keep listening. Um, but a couple of things. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks Anytime, for your continued man. friendship. And, and for making the podcast better. Because it's interesting. Uh, I sat down and you could see the energy that you had. You're being, oh, let me let me show you how this is done. <laughs> and, and already you can see... Uh, I think that's part of leadership as well, is that you are a financial expert all right that is what pays you but at the same time i am better off not only because you have changed the way i look at money in just knowing you but there is always a passion in somebody that isn't what they make their money at right and in this case it's made me better at what i do so i wanted to thank you for that too my friend oh you're very welcome drew all right let's do this again sometime anytime all right take care that's preet Banerjee, the man the myth the financial legend <laughs> uh, it's been great to spend time with you today thanks man for the day one leadership podcast my pleasure my sincere thanks to Preet Banerjee for giving so much from himself for this week's episode. I really hope you took as much from it as I did. If you'd like to know more about Preet, you can check out his website at www.preetbanerjee.com. I highly recommend his video blog. It is absolutely filled with fascinating videos. He's on Twitter at at Preet Banerjee, and you can check the podcast page on our website for all kinds of links, including his TEDx talk. You can buy his book, and don't forget if you'd like a chance to win his book for free, an autographed copy of his book for free, all you have to do is tweet us at Day One Leadership. That's D A Y, the number one and leadership with your least favorite cultural cliche, the piece of advice that people keep handing out in this world that you wish they would not. So, again, that's Day One Leadership. If you tweet us your least favorite cultural cliche, what we're going to do is randomly select some of the people who do so, and we'll make sure that you get a free copy of Preet's book, Stop Overthinking Your Money The Five Simple Rules of Financial Success.
We are back next week with an amazing guest. It's Major General Erica Studerman, retired of the United States Air Force. General Studerman drops all kinds of really interesting insights on what it's like to not only be a general, but one of the really rare female generals in the armed forces. Here's a sneak peek. It was my first day as a second lieutenant after going through my technical school to be an intelligence officer. My first supervisor, a major, I remember him very clearly, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, or excuse me, Major Acosta. And he, I was in front of his desk reporting in officially, and he said, women have no business in the military. And that's where the conversation started. Come back next week to hear all of General Studerman's insights. And if you like what you're hearing on the podcast so far, it would be great if you could go on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Also, if you haven't yet, dayoneleadership.com. That's D-A-Y-O-N-E leadership.com. You can subscribe there to make sure you don't miss any of our daily content. In addition to this podcast, we've got a blog coming out several times a week. We've got video blogs offering insights on life and leadership. If you don't want to miss any of it, head to dayoneleadership.com and make sure that you sign up. Thank you so much for giving us the time today. I'm Drew Dudley. This is day one. Every day is day one. I'll see you next week.